Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, academic, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I hold space for women and non-binary individuals to share their stories. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for being here today and enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Kelly. Kelly Tuttle is the author of After the Crash, How to Keep Your Job, Stay in School, and Live Life After a Brain Injury. Her book shares strategies and tools readers can use to keep working and studying while their brains and bodies heal. Kelly Tuttle wants TBI survivors to know that they're not alone and that there's hope in getting better. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Well, thank you for having me, Megan. I'm excited to be here. I would love for you to kick it off and tell us about your injury and maybe how it happened, how, however much that you're comfortable with sharing um, and, and what happened there. Because um, people might be going, I don't know, I've never heard of a traumatic brain injury or they have it, but it was always football players, right? That people hear that's, you know, people think of it, but um, share with us what happened with you. So um, I was uh, leaving work and I was out on a rural road and a teenager pulled out in front of me at the last minute and my car T-boned her car. And um, from that acceleration, deceleration accident, um, that's how I sustained my traumatic brain injury. And, you know, um, also uh, with the impact of the um, airbags too. And, um, I thought that after the, I didn't go on the ambulance or anything like that, that even though they were called, I thought I'd be able to shake this car accident off and, uh, get back to life. And, uh, I even went to work the next day. A friend of mine drove me to work and at work, uh, my colleagues, my nursing colleagues noticed, uh, something was up. My, I was um, having difficulty with my speech. And um, so they had recommended that I follow up with my primary care provider the next day. And I promised I would. And um, I saw my primary care doctor and she said, yes, you have a concussion. Uh, you'll be better in, in two weeks. And so I was like, okay. So I took two weeks off of work and try and then rested and then went back to work and tried to get back into life thinking I was all better and eventually I at the time I had an over an hour commute one Mm -hmm. way to work and I was getting more and more tired on the drive and I ended up falling asleep at the wheel and uh driving off the road and almost slamming into a tree wow And believe it or not, I was like, oh, well, that's not good. Um, Maybe I'll just take a nap in between, you know, the commute, like at the 30 minute mark. Right. Not maybe I should let my regular doctor know, but no, I'm going to take a nap, which is dangerous, sleep in my car and then I can drive home. Right. Crazy, crazy. Ah, thinking. And uh, then I met a colleague at lunch. She was a nurse practitioner who worked in neurology. And so she was really 
uh, interested to hear how I was recovering from my concussion. And I told her how I drove off the road. She's like, what? And how I fell asleep at the wheel. And I'm like, yeah, I just fell asleep at the wheel, but I didn't hit the tree. And that's okay. Now I take a nap. A lot. I, she's like, no, no, that is not supposed to happen. <laughs> you need to go and see, go back to your primary, get a referral for it, get a head CT, get an MRI. You need to see neuro, um, a physical medicine and rehab doctor. And I was like, what is that? PMR. She kept saying PMR. What is that? Physical medicine rehab doctor. They used to have the title physiatrist. And um, so I listened to what she said. I got the referrals with a lot of um, push. Mm. It was hard to get those referrals. And um, finally got the, the MRI and then the referral to the physical medicine rehab doctor's office. And from that point on, my road to recovery started going the right direction. Wow. That, that, that's wild that you wouldn't, that you wouldn't know like that we could walk away and think we're fine. And then we're not fine. Right. You think, you think you would know, right. Uh, Immediately. You think you would know if there's something wrong, but it sounds like it was like a slow burn. Yes. Um, and I, what it was, was I had lost my self-awareness. Uh, and I also had lost, um, my, um, okay. Like my ability to assess the consequences of my actions mm-hmm. and, um, uh, and that came back like about three or four months, um, into my recovery I was um, putting away some laundry and I was thinking about a conversation I had with some friends at lunch and um, I got this really weird feeling, this weird sensation in my chest and I sat down and I thought about it because I was like, what is this? It was regret of I was feeling this sense of regret of saying that some of the things I said at lunch that I normally would have not said out loud. And that was so weird to not have that awareness or that ability to um, be knowledgeable of the consequences of your actions. And I felt really, really bad. And I had to do a bunch of makeup conversations with people. Um, but I was excited too, because if that part of my brain can heal, then other parts could heal too. So there was this absence of self-awareness for a really long time. And the reason why I mentioned that is that people who take care of patients who are uh, after a concussion or a traumatic brain injury, um, that person may not have the awareness uh, that they need help. Um, and that, you know, essentially they're not thinking clearly and they're going to really need you, your healthy brain to help them navigate and get the care that they need and keep them safe until that component comes back. And I speak this also to healthcare providers. Uh, you can't tell someone who's had a concussion, here's a piece of paper. If you have these symptoms, call your doctor. No, you need to follow up in two weeks 
and see how that person's doing. And then, and then a month and then three months and then another three months and then six months. And then after, um, and then maybe a follow-up in a year after that, just to make sure they're okay, because they may not know they're not okay. And that's when the trouble begins. Um, you were talking about lack of self-awareness. What are some other symptoms that you had that, I mean, you may not have realized they were even related, but maybe now you know they're related. Right. So one of them, um, I didn't realize for a really long time, I had sound sensitivity. And um, the symptom I had was I was getting tired uh, I would get tired listening to music as I was driving. I would get less fatigue if the music was off. And I didn't put those two together until uh, hindsight 2020. And the other uh, with a sound sensitivity was um, having a hard time concentrating at work when there were conversations occurring outside my office in the hallway, which I normally had never heard before and could hear and was disrupting my focus. I didn't put that together either until I saw a specialist. They did a questionnaire and I filled it out and they're like, oh, you have sound sensitivity too. And we recommend these noise counseling headphones and they'll help. They actually helped me with my balance and my focus and um, attention. And it also helped save some of my brain energy uh, so that I could be more alert at the end of a full day at work because I wasn't having to use my brain and energy to block out the sounds around me um, by using noise counseling headphones (laughs) to filter out the noises my brain was unable to do and really didn't have the energy to to expend on doing. Yeah. Wow. I, I mean, I guess her brain does so much. So when it has an injury, weird things can happen, right? That you wouldn't expect depending on where that injury is. Um, and we don't even think about it. We think it's going to be like this, this large, crazy thing that happens, but you're sharing with us, like, these are, I don't want to say little things, but more subtle things that you wouldn't really necessarily relate with a brain injury. Correct. And that list that you get sent home with talks about if you feel dizzy, nauseated, vomiting, you know, call your, um, your uh, doctor. It doesn't say on there if you have difficulty focus or with motivation or sound sensitivity or light sensitivity. It doesn't have any of those that you're going to need help with from your doctor who can refer you to the therapist uh, that can help you with uh, whichever your symptom is. And you're right. It's um, with a concussion, the injury, well, in, in a lot, a lot of brain injuries now concussion or a traumatic brain injury or a brain injury doesn't always have to be a traumatic uh, hit to the head. It can be um, a stroke, Uh, It could be hypoxia from monoxide poisoning, um, or if you were in the ICU and you weren't at some point in time, you weren't getting enough oxygen to your brain. Um, It could be from lead poisoning, um, all all those kinds of things. So I like to include those people too. um, When I talk about brain injury and try not to 
say specifically concussion or traumatic brain injury because I feel that um, then people um, won't think that is pertains to them. It's not information that would be helpful for them. But the symptoms, especially with a traumatic brain injury or like a hypoxia, can be global and affect uh, several areas of the brain. And in doing so, then will inhibit your ability, being able to process information coming in and then being able to filter what's important and what's not, and then be able to process what you're perceiving and then being able to formulate a memory or a thought and then communicate that back out. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong along that journey. Yeah. Our brain does so much, right? It it really, it's, 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 responsible for everything we do. And, um, you know, uh, I have, I've shared this in previous, many previous episodes, I have bipolar disorder. And of course, um, if you ever see brain scans of somebody with like a quote unquote normal brain, um, quotation marks there, I got to emphasize that as somebody with a bipolar brain, it, it lights up differently. Like there's different parts of your brain that do that. And that's why we act a certain way. People with bipolar disorder act a certain way because certain parts of our brain are functioning differently than somebody else's brain is. And so it is um, amazing to me how much like just little changes to your brain, like in certain areas can really affect your behavior and the things that go on with you. Exactly. And that's one of the uh, symptoms of a brain injury is changes in personality and in behavior. And uh, again, that has to, that goes along with um, uh, kind of the brain energy. So when a lot of the symptoms are related to brain energy, I believe um, the brain uses normally 20% of your energy. And um, before a brain injury, um, there's an energy allocation um, that was uh, I read about uh, by, um, I'm going to forget her name, I apologize. She wrote a book called Brain Lash. And um, Brain Lash. And Dr. Ditton, Dr. Ditton. And in her uh, energy allocation, she says, before your brain injury, there's four quarters of a pie. And uh, one is it is uh, energy for uh, physical energy, emotional en- energy, and cognitive energy. And then um, the other half of the, actually, yeah, the other half of the pie. So you, those are three slices. And the other half of the pie is your energy reserves. And after a brain injury, that energy reserve gets reserve, gets reduced from 50% down to a quarter. Wow. Meaning that people who have neurological issues, uh, and this is um, applicable to people with Parkinson's and multiple sclerosis, um, they have this uh, cognitive fatigue and uh, and it can um, also translate into physical fatigue uh, because they don't have that reserve to tap into. So like, say, 
a college student is in school and they're staying up late and they're studying hard, finals are coming up and they're getting sleepy, well, they can push through because they have that reserve. That's where, that's where they get that energy. After a brain injury, you don't have that reserve or it's very small. And so once you tap that out, you're done and your brain will shut you down just like I fell asleep at the wheel when I was driving. I, there, you have no choice. Your brain just shuts you down. And I've even read about people who fall asleep eating. Oh, wow. So we're like, like toddlers, like little babies when they're eating. And then just suddenly they're like, out. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. That's so funny. <laughs> I had a child that was like that. <laughs> Oh, I did too. I, I have four kids and uh, there was a couple that just mid eating would just write out like food all over their face. And you're like, how, how do you do this? But it's a, it's wild that you run out of those reserves and you're just like, doesn't matter. You're eating, you're out. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And that's why I really caution my patients and their caregivers is that it, they can't push through. They can't just, the, and it's, it's also um, a fatigue that is not resolved with uh, sleep or rest. So even if the person is getting eight or even more hours of sleep, they're still waking up tired. They never, I never wake up refreshed. I used to wake up and bounce out of bed before my car accident. And after my car accident, I have always woken up um, tired and exhausted. And um, what researchers have said is that this isn't a a typical fatigue. It's uh, you you can sleep. And when you wake up, you have a certain amount of energy for that day. And then you're done. And so so you think of it like a, a, um, a battery of a cell phone. It's going to, you know, as the day progresses, the cell phone uh, battery becomes more and more depleted. And there's no option for the person to plug themselves in the wall and recharge, say, like for a nap. It's not going to happen. They're still going to, even if they take the nap, they're still going to wake up tired. It's just an unusual type of fatigue. And it's, um, uh, they don't really know why it, that, traumatic brain injury uh, survivors have chronic fatigue. They don't really understand. They just have kind of some ideas. Um, One of the things that I read in research was uh, they found that the brain likes to run efficient. So if you have a brand new car and um, you put it next to a car that's older, that the owner doesn't get it oiled and lubed, doesn't get the tires inflated, you know, you get the picture that the older car that's not well taken care of will use more gasoline to get from A to B as compared to the well-maintained running new car. And so there, uh, when they were looking at MRI scans, they just found that um, brains uh, that uh, from traumatic brain injury survivors didn't use uh, the um, uh, their energy they ended up using more energy to do minimal things compared to non-traumatic brain injury survivors 
who uh, used the same amount of energy. Um, I mean, who did the same thing, but didn't use the same amount of energy. I hope that explanation was somewhat clear. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I didn't take you I, through a mud puddle, did I? No, I, um, I liked the analogy with the older car and the newer car, because it definitely helped it. It, it makes sense, right? That and you can't help it you you even though your brain's an older car it's not something you could have done anything about right you didn't control this um so like my question that's been popping around in my head as you're talking is like is this something that you heal from or is it something that you experience for the rest of your life Son, you know, everyone, everyone's recovery is different. I like to say, once you've seen one traumatic brain injury, you've seen one traumatic brain injury. <laughs> so they're all different. Uh, uh, the recovery is different for everyone. The symptoms are different for everyone. Um, but some people uh, do heal. They do get better and they, and they go on. Um, and some people like me, we don't. And so what we learn is compensatory strategies uh, to help protect our brain's energy throughout the day and then pacing and taking breaks and things like that. And that helps us, um, you know, continue uh, to do what the things that we need to do. For me, that's going to work, you know, and driving there safely and driving home back safely. Yeah. And you um, mentioned you work in healthcare and does that, and you also mentioned working with people with traumatic brain injuries. Did you change your career trajectory or what happened there? I did. I was originally a nurse practitioner, worked in cardiology for 20 years. Wow. And I had the car, yeah, I had the car accident and, um, I was spending a lot of time trying to get better and get back to work and get back to my life. So I was reading all this research and books, anything I could get my hand on. And I had a girlfriend call and check on me. She's like, Hey, how are you doing? How's your recovery going? And I was sharing with her all the things I had read and was excited about. And she mentioned, you know, you should go into neurology because you would be a good patient advocate. And um, I hadn't thought of that about it prior to that. And um, after she said that, I was just so excited. I couldn't even sleep the next, that night. I was so excited. I was like making lists of everything I would need to do to try and get a job in neurology. So, of course, all the education I'd have to, com- yeah. you know, take and complete and, and the training I would need. And um, I begged and pleaded with managers and finally got a job in a neurology a training position, which was great. And um, I learned um, a lot about a lot of other things, you know, Parkinson's, MS, uh, trigeminal neuralgia, uh, epilepsy, and um, uh, dementia, stroke, and traumatic brain injuries. So it was really cool. And I've been there ever since. And I, I love I love taking care of my patients. I would say, so I get a lot of people who uh, apply or pitch to be on the podcast who want to talk about like their business or entrepreneurship and something like that. And I'm just like, well, we focus on personal stories. The thing is, is people don't realize is something happened most times, something happened along the way that inspired you to do what you do now, right? Like 
you know, something mm-hmm. happened in the beginning that inspired mm-hmm. you to, to become a nurse practitioner, even if it, even in cardiology, but like now what you're doing specifically is inspired by your own personal experience. And that I feel like is the, the important thing in, in the best way to learn and, and be learn is through other people's experiences. I believe like that's my true, honest belief is like stories are so powerful and you can learn, you can almost learn sometimes more about something from somebody's personal experience than from a book. Like you could go and read Mm -hmm. about bipolar disorder and be like, okay, I think I know what it is. But then you listen to people's stories about it. Now you're like, Oh, okay. I get it now. Like I understand. And the same with you talking about traumatic brain injuries is like, okay, we're hearing your story and we're like, oh, I had a lot of misconceptions, right? People have a lot of misconceptions about it. Yeah, I did too. I did too. Um, some of the myths are if you um, have a negative or a normal MRI or head CT, then you don't have a concussion or you don't have a brain injury. And that is not true. And I, I explain that to my patients because they'll ask for the test, which is fine because it's reassuring. But I tell them, hey, I, you know, if this comes out negative, this doesn't mean that you don't have a brain injury because brain injury symptoms um, are not captured on an MRI. MRIs and head CTs can capture large, gross abnormalities like a tumor, a bleed, a fracture, but they don't go down to the cellular level and see how well the cells function, at least not at this point in clinical practice. And, um, and so that's one of the myths I like to break is that just because you've been told this scan, this brain scan is normal, doesn't mean your symptoms aren't real and that they don't need to be addressed and treated. Well, when would somebody advocate for themselves? Because some, you know, you mentioned it. Sometimes you got to fight, right? Sometimes you have to fight with doctors <laughs> to get the treatment that you need or want. Um, and and I, I think anybody listening could probably relate at some point in time or another having to argue with somebody about like, no, I really need this. Please help me here. Um, what would be some... In your professional opinion, what would be some times where people should fight for that, like fight and say, like, I think there's something wrong here? Well, that you just said it perfectly, Megan. You should say, I think something is wrong here. I want this test. Um, you can say that I'm insisting on having this test. Um, you can uh, say my family wants this test done. Uh, you can bring your family in and and they can be, uh, I do recommend that for sure. Always bring a caregiver to your healthcare appointments um, because they can not only write down what the doctor recommends, they can also reinforce um, changes in your personality or the way you're functioning or your energy levels um, to the doctor. And then they can also say, yes, I want this test for my loved one. And it, once you get to that point, it's really difficult for someone to say uh, no to a test unless it's unsafe. And they should, if they feel that it's unsafe, uh, then they should be able to articulate why they don't want you to have the test. And um, to a point where you and your family member are um, 
are okay with that. So what and would understand you say, that and realize that. What would you say are some symptoms that people should look out for? Um, things that maybe they got in a car accident like you did. Um, and, and not just them, but their family members, right? Because like you said, they may not have the self-awareness to actually look out for it themselves, but we're listening. We might be family members to somebody who ends up with a traumatic brain injury. What are some signs or symptoms you should look out for after an accident that, or anything that may have caused an injury in this manner? So, um, there's physical, there's emotional, and then there's cognitive symptoms. And, this, and the list is pretty long. So physical would be um, difficulty walking, balance, dizziness, um, uh, visual impairments, um, auditory impairments. Um, emotional would be um, anxiety, uh, difficulty with sleep, um, depression, and uh, uh, angry outbursts, irritability, grumpiness. Um, cognitive would be uh, symptoms like difficulty with word finding, uh, saying words, slurred words, uh, difficulty focus, motivation, difficulty reading, learning, managing time, making plans. Those, uh, those kinds of things. And for a more in-depth list, I would recommend going to brainline.org. And that uh, has a lot of information on it about brain injury symptoms and, uh, and, and in general, it's a very good resource. And then the, um, the CDC website does have a list. Uh, uh, you can type in the uh, symptoms of a concussion and they'll they have articles and stuff like that on there. Gotcha. That's really helpful. I, the other thing that I recommend for my patients and that worked with for me tremendously was journaling my symptoms and mm -hmm. writing them down and um, noting what made them worse, what made them better. And then I was able to kind of uh, suss out what was affecting my performance at work or my relationships with my family and then being able to figure out, well, how can I avoid the triggers to those symptoms and then protect my brain's energy? Those yeah. type of things. And I definitely recommend journaling because brain injury symptoms can also change. And I've seen this in myself and in my patients. So Sometimes with a brain injury comes along other injuries like a broken arm, a shoulder, a whiplash, and that pain can be really overwhelming. And so initially, maybe the, the uh, person feels like they have headaches, they're in pain, um, and then uh, they're at home, they're resting, they're recuperating, the injury heals. Then they try to go back to work and they can't focus or pay attention on their work. So you have to monitor for those changes and transitions as you go through your recovery too. And a journal will help you with that. 
Yeah, I um my oldest daughter has a lot of health problems. She's 20, so she's an adult now and I told her like if you're going to talk to your doctor, you need to have a you need to have journaled and have a list of the things that you've gone through so that you can just show up like check it right off, right? And talking to them and it makes it more obvious the little things that you may have missed when you're talking to your doctor if you didn't have that um you have it right there so it's really easy to talk about yeah and um on my website if you go to my website kellytuttle.org um i have a free download of a patient i call it a patient cheat sheet it's a stressless worksheet for when you go into a clinical appointment. And on there, I have questions for you to fill out and answer. And these are the ones your doctor um, or your nurse practitioner, your PA are going to want to know when they see you. And so it takes you through all this and sets you up for giving the right information to your provider in a quick and succinct manner. And then there's room on there for what they said, what's recommended in your next follow-up appointment. And then you could take that piece of paper and put that in your recovery journal and keep that. What are some rec- What are some things that have helped you in your recovery? Um, what are some things that maybe might help other people? Um, let's see, uh, speech therapy as one of my favorite therapies. Um, people think they help you with just your speech or your ability to talk, but they actually help you, um, identify your cognitive deficits where you're struggling. And then based on that, they can help you with, um, coping strategies and compensatory strategies. So that is key. And um, physical therapy, if you have dizziness, like a neurotherapist um, can help you with, if you're having problems with eye tracking, uh, tracking objects that are moving. Say if you have dizziness when you watch an action film or you have dizziness in the car when things are flying past you, that could be an eye tracking issue that you need help with. And... Um, And just getting to the basics, like I recommend good quality sleep, a minimum of seven to nine hours at night, Um, a brain healthy diet that eats more closer to the ground uh, than the factory. So uh, one of the examples I like to use is instead of drinking a glass of orange juice, eat the orange, Mm. you know, instead of having olive oil on your salad, put olives, the whole food. So just trying to stick to the whole food and um, away from processed foods that have unnecessary chemicals and inflammatory components that that's the last thing you want in your brain when it's trying to heal is inflammation. So a low inflammation diet and exercise um, is really important. It helps with the mental health issues that may um, come along with the brain injury, or if you had mental health issues before your brain injury, they can worsen. So definitely walking, the walking helps with sleep um, and it helps increase circulation to the brain so that you can clear out the old, the yucky, the old and bring in the, you know, good nutrients to help it heal. And um, the other thing is um, uh, 
having really good friends and family to support you through this very tough time. And, and if that needs to be extended um, to a uh, family counselor, um, a therapist, um, or a support group, take, take advantage of those if you can, if they're available. And then just finding your people, like find other brain injury survivors is really helpful too. Um, because uh, they're going to understand where you're coming from. They're going to, you know, be able to share their experience and make you feel less alone because it, it mm. can be very isolating. Yeah, I can, I can relate to that. So when I got my bipolar diagnosis, I didn't know anybody else who had bipolar disorder. And so I felt like, so, so alone, like you said. And then along the way, I have met other people with bipolar disorder and it's helped me feel less alone and less like, less like, like I'm, I'm that much different. Like there's nobody else like me, uh, but then, then you meet other people, right. With the same struggles or similar struggles. And you're like, okay, I'm not alone. And there are other people out there like me. It's just, it, it, I'm not the the only person that's going through this. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, be, yeah. And friends, and getting outside and walking and doing mindful thinking that also gets you out of your brain too, because it's really easy to after a brain injury or even if it with a mental illness to get sucked inside your head and stay there and not, uh, and just live with your ruminating thoughts. And uh, it's important for both people with mental health issues and brain injuries to get out of their head because you don't want to worry about the future. Then you're using up your energy on, on anxiety and worry. And you don't want to look at the things that you can't do anymore because of your brain injury. Um, so you really just want to be in the moment and, um, and stay in that moment and take each day at a time. And as you get better and stronger, then you can take um, each six month interval at a time, every year at a time um, and um, learn uh, to live better with um, your, your brain injury limitations. And I think it makes you slow down in life and appreciate it better when you do that. And, and you are proof that it is possible to still do things after a traumatic brain injury. You're, you are holding down a job. You said you, you went and did some, you had to do some schooling to become the nurse practitioner, right? For what you're doing now? Uh, yes. Uh, well, I took uh, classes and uh, we call it um, continuing medical education, which are different classes and um, that you can take online or, you know, in a, you know, uh, in a seminar on the subjects that you need to um, learn more about. Yeah. And you're saying so you're showing, you did, you wrote a book. That's a big deal. I keep being told like I should write a book and I'm like, I don't, I don't know about that. 
Oh my gosh, serious learning curve, serious learning curve. It was an amazing journey writing my book, but I really wanted when there was when I was trying to go back to work, like the night before I was going to go back to work, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I've read all these books and looked at all these things, trying to find tools and strategies to help me at work. And there really wasn't any, there were some really great books about brain injuries, um, the symptoms, um, survivor stories, uh, how to organize your kitchen, you know, life stuff, but not specifically for work and study. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of information for military people and kids and teenagers, but not a lot of information about average Joe Kelly. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I was sweat. I was sweating it. And I didn't want anybody else to feel that way when they were going back to work. So I put everything that I learned um, in my book to help people get back to work and to study and get back uh, to life. And the other thing, too, is like. After my car accident, I went from being able to read for hours to mm. only tolerating five minutes. And wow. then I get a headache and stop. And I wasn't able to remember what I was reading. It was big. That was a big deal. So it was really important for me to put my book on Audible so people can mm. listen to my book. So they don't have to read it, but they can um, also listen to it if they're in that situation where they don't have the cognitive energy or um, the processing ability to read at this point. Yeah, my spouse loves audiobooks. That's his favorite form. He's never been a, a person who really likes physical books. I'm a more a physical book, book person, but it it's really important to have different mediums for different people who learn different ways. Like even without a brain injury, there everybody's it learns differently. Um, and I, I think that's also important. Um, I want to be a professor someday when I grow up, I say. Um, and I took a teaching practicum and she was sharing with us how we need to in our lectures have different ways to engage students because everybody learns differently. So I, it is really important to have a different medium beside just the physical books, because like you said, maybe somebody has a, you know, something going on where they can't physically read, but the audio will help or like vice versa. Like, you know, maybe audio is not their thing or they have a hard time processing audio, but like actually being able to read it physically is helpful. So I think it's really important for anybody who writes a book to have multiple mediums going on. Uh, So Kelly, as we wrap up the podcast today, what would you like to leave the inspired women audience with? I would say don't be afraid to share your story because your story is unique and it you don't know how it will help and affect others that hear your story. So don't be afraid to share it and get out there and be yourself. Yeah, you're just, you know, speaking my language right now. <laughs> I feel like stories are one of the most powerful things that you can share with other people. And it's scary, right? Like sometimes you're like, I don't know if I want to be this vulnerable or be this transparent, but it can, it can be really helpful to other people. So somebody has the ability. I know I would never say like, you have to, you know, like, cause some people may not, but like, if, 
if somebody feels inspired to share your story, there's going to be other people out there who, you know, find it helpful. Who knows? We might be listening. I might be listening right now and talking to you and think like, well, this is not relevant to me today. It could be relevant to me down the road. You know what I mean? So uh, it is important. Then it will stick in my head. Oh, yeah. I talked to Kelly and Kelly told me this and oh, I can go back and I can look at those resources that you provided and you shared that I, I wrote down. I'm going to link in the show notes and say, oh yeah, this is, this is what's happening right now, or this is what's happening with my loved one or somebody I know. And yeah, your story is important. So Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Well, thank you for having me. I had a wonderful time. Thank you for tuning in with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or review. Follow us on social media at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, The Inspired Women Podcast.